Okay. Awesome. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, who's out there? We're kind of cutting, coming in a little suddenly, but hello, everyone. Uh, Loremaster Sotek here, and uh, Great Book of Grudges as well. Um, I'll just say hello to you guys real quick. And this, uh, before we get into it, this is kind of our first little experimental dip into this. So there might be a few little growing pains as we get used to the format and uh, try some things out. But uh, welcome to the first episode of Lorebeards. Uh, this should be a lot of fun. We have a couple of topics lined up to talk with today. Uh, just a quick note for my community that I will have alerts and stuff turned off just so I don't get interrupted <laughs> by stuff constantly flying. So uh, yeah, and uh, Nathan, uh, I think it's been a hot minute since you streamed. Yeah, it's uh, not since I did that CA thing with the silence and the fury. It's uh, I've been a little bit. Uh... I, I, I've been a little bit preoccupied trying to get back into a normal life post-pandemic, but then pandemic came back, so I've been working a while. But yeah, no, it's going to be fun to, to just get back into streaming and r running into everything. Looks like we've got a lot of friendly names in the chat too. I'm just making sure that I've got your chat open too, which is like this. Yes, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I might be a bit bright. I'm still getting the room construction done, guys, so I do apologize. Uh, you I'm just have you just have a heavenly you have a heavenly glow. Yeah. <laughs> that's all. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah, I might be pregnant. <laughs> all right, so uh, uh, Mr. Pig, you shouldn't be hearing an echo, but if you are consistently, uh, well, we'll see if anyone else is hearing it, and then I'll go from there. But uh, we do have a couple of awesome topics lined up for today. Um, so without further ado, uh, I don't think we're going to try and waste too much time because the two of us are a little long-winded, <laughs> so the sooner we get into it, the sooner we can, um, uh, be done. So, our first thing we're going to talk about today, uh, I think for many people, is going to be the most interesting, which is that we're going to start today with, uh, if you watch, uh, Nathan's channel, which if you aren't, I don't know what you're doing with your lives, but, uh, because you should be, um, he recently did a video, uh, covering some stuff from Cubicle 7. They released an expansion for Warhammer uh, Fantasy Roleplay 4th Edition called Altdorf, Crown of the Empire. And, uh, Nathan, why don't you walk us through uh, what that video was about and what we'll be discussing. So, um... In a really weird sense, because I ended up just buying uh, the book because I play Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. I didn't know there was a new book. And I was just reading through it, just, like, just catching up, seeing what's new. And then, new Capello, which completely threw me off because I don't think any of us were expecting anything cafe related until we got a little closer to Total War Warhammer 3 and we ended up getting a new character some new information regarding cafe changes to possibly some politics within cafe too it was just kind of weird yeah so uh, and for anyone curious uh, on stream I'll kind of throw it up here where y'all can see it for a hot second uh, or a hot minute while we discuss it. But uh, yeah, so they, they released a new character um, for the role-playing game, uh, which is um, uh, the ambassador of Wei Jin, uh, Yabo Chao. But uh, we'll discuss her a bit uh, today and kind of talk about the potential uh, ramifications of her being introduced. 
So, uh, Nathan, if you'd be so kind as to kind of give us a rundown of her story and kind of the situation that they have um, proposed with this character. She's the new diplomat that's been sent down to Old Dorf. From what we know is that it sets back to a period where a, uh, a former diplomat ended up being a Zinchin sorcerer, which I believe harkens back to a book from the 90s, doesn't it? Uh, yes, um, that, that does seem to be kind of a older thing, which I almost wonder if that's almost kind of a symbolism of them wanting to kind of distance the Zinchian cultism from Cathay. But uh, carry on. So she's gone there to fix everything up in a sense, uh, you know, mend diplomatic fences, which makes sense considering that they are the two biggest human nations throughout the Warhammer fantasy world. Uh, there's a lot of rumors regarding her because she seems to be quite old, yet still beautiful. Many people think that she's had, uh, which goes to actual Chinese mythology with these divine peaches. Some people I spoke to were theorycrafting that she just might be a jade vampire, which I don't know. I don't think so. But it's, it's cool that she seems to take... She empowers herself with the fact that people are serious about her and they're worried about her. So she even comes up with rumors to make sure that people are scared of her, which I think is, uh, I love that. I think it's just it's sneaky as hell, man. Yeah, and um, so that's, that's her general rundown for anyone that hasn't been aware of it. And so uh, as far as her actual character goes, because it's, it's doubtful we'll get to... Uh, see her as like a playable character. She's more of a, a ambassadorial figure or a political figure, but uh, she has really, really fun lore um, and is someone that could definitely be a lot of fun to play around with if you are enjoying the RPG game. Um, but as far as uh, the ramifications go for Total War, I think the most, the biggest thing we should start with uh, discussing, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, is let's start with the ever-famous uh, Zinchian cult background for Cathay. So we'll start with your thoughts on it. How do you think, do you think that this is a sign of where Games Workshop is going to want this to go as far as, like, they acknowledge that they have used a lot of Zinchian cult stuff for uh, Cathay in the past and they're wanting to kind of push it out the door? Or what, what, are you, what are your thoughts on how they may handle the history of Zinch kind of having some control over Cathay. I think that they're acknowledging the past to keep the past relevant in some sort of sense. It would be nice if they kept it with Zinch still having a big hold in certain parts of Cafe to make sure that they're not just the generic good guys. Because there's one thing about Warhammer is a lot of stuff is very morally grey. I'd love it if they kept it like that. They're distancing from it. Obviously, now they know that the... Uh, the former ambassador, which turned out to be a fake, is now disposed of, and obviously they've brought her about, but you never really know what can happen. I mean, I always had this feeling that the Monkey King might have been a little bit chaos-tainted, too. So, it's just, it is, if they keep it the same, but, you know, bring it to today's standards, I think that's probably the best way to go. Yeah, and I, I, I also agree with that, in that I think it'd be fun to definitely have that Zinchian influence still appear in some ways. Um, maybe not if you're like 
playing as the main Cathay, but you know, if they get enough characters, maybe one of their characters still kind of wears that Zinchian influence uh, a bit. But um, definitely, uh, the the Monkey King being that he's uh, based on the actual uh, Sun Wukong of the uh, Journey of the West, who was a notorious trickster, and I think is even like a type of uh, monkey demon or something like that in his original story, which I don't think they'll go so far as to make him an actual demon or maybe even a full-on beast man, but maybe he'll still have some kind of, like with, when you're playing as him, you kind of have to make a choice about which side he leans more towards, assuming he's playable, which I hope he is eventually. Um, but uh, I personally, I do agree a fair bit. I, I think they'll acknowledge that Zinchian history, um, but I don't think we're going to see like actual playable Zinch elements, and I don't think that Cathay is going to be sympathetic to Zinch. I think most of the Cathayan characters will be like, oh, you are, uh, you know, you're, the second you become aware of a Zinchian influence, you're going to be like, that, I'm going to kill that. <laughs> I need to stomp that out, because that's going to be a problem for my empire. Um, but I, I definitely could see maybe there being kind of like an almost Archonish character who has, like, maybe isn't truly a Zinch guy by any means, but maybe he's, like, willing to make deals to get that extra influence, or it could be that, like, the Monkey King's a little bit pseudo chaos -y or pseudo-evil, but uh, we'll have to see. Um, Dabbling in Zinch, that, that's actually kind of cool. I like that idea. Yeah, uh, and, because, you know, it's like, you don't want it to be too zinch because Zinch is going to be a faction. <laughs> but, yeah. um, it definitely could make the uh, Cathayan area a little more uh, spicy if there's somebody there who's not, like you said, of uh, someone there who's definitely much less of a good guy. Because it seems like it seems like Creative Assembly is kind of advertising Kislev and Cathay as like the starter good guys for Warhammer 3. But Warhammer's, yeah. Warhammer's never that clean. <laughs> it's never that clean. Yeah, there's no real good guy faction, because even, like, the High Elves have their own dirt, you know, so, like... Yeah, know. you know, the High Elves got a Lithanar running around, he's a little, he, he's a little cruel as far as Elves go, and then Emric's just a jerk. <laughs> like, he's cool, but he's an asshole. Mm, um, but, uh, so another thing they kind of talk about in Weijin's story, uh, that I think uh, may actually be a direct reference to Warhammer 3, that's kind of interesting to talk about, is the whole concept of that, uh, according to the writers at Cubicle 7, which, granted, Cubicle, everything Cubicle 7 does does not have a direct impact on what's going on with Creative Assembly. Um, you know, that's there's like a whole line of disconnection there through GW, so uh, it's important for everyone not to take this as gospel. But um, one thing that we learn with the Weijin Ambassador is that Cathay is trying to expand. Um, the, the Celestial Dragon Emperor wants to take over, uh, he wants to expand north into the, uh, the northern and eastern steppes, and he also is, uh, some of the people on his council want to expand into the Mountains of Morn. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, north has always been a weird thing to me, which why I was really kind of confused when, um, when I read this originally. Because obviously, the further north you go, the closer the Chaos Taints you get, it's more concentrated and so on. So it kind of threw me off that the Dragon Emperor wants to go up north. 
it might correlate with the story in the future because obviously we know some stuff from the RPG series as me making it into the Total War Warhammer. The uh, what's the uh, the human hero for Corn called? Uh, the <clears throat> Blood Priest? No, no, Blood Priest. No. Uh... Oh, the the cultist. Yeah, because he's actually from the RPG series. Uh, so obviously they're taking influence from that, and. I just find it really weird because okay, what what is further up north? Kurgans, um, the hobgoblins, and of course, then later on, everything else with more concentrated demons and so on. So how are how are they going to be able to justify going north and keeping that area defended? You know? Yeah, and uh, just for reference, uh, at least for the folks uh, watching on my stream, and here I can actually uh, so. Uh, I'm pulling up this image of just a map kind of super zoomed in on Cathay, and you'll you'll notice that um, the the eastern steppes is kind of just this massive space um, north of Cathay, and then north of that is where you bump into the Chaos Wastes, and then go into the proper uh, realm of chaos north of even that. Um, but Wei Jin is pretty far up there north, um, but Cathay really only expands to the Great Bastion. Um, so I, I think it kind of boils down to just how far north they can go before they ultimately start really bumping into that, like, hardcore chaos-y territory. Because it seems they probably have a little bit of space to expand, but you are right in that, um, you know, they've kind of got the equivalent to, uh, Korea there on the right um that it seems they do have control over but um uh i almost you, you have to wonder is like are they just getting greedy or is there is there something that uh they particularly uh desire that could be found i mean if you could claim um uh those lands south of the chaos waste uh that would be a massive expansion of land uh, you know, those land, the, the Eastern Steppes, which are, of course, mostly dominated by green-skinned nomads like the Hobgoblin tribes. Um, it is a lot of space. <laughs> it is a whole lot of space. Plus, it would open up a new trade route uh, to the Empire through the, the Road of Skulls. I mean, it's, it's very true, but, like, uh, it, we've seen this in lore because it, it goes, it, it happens often. We've seen this in lore where people get greedy and then destroy themselves. Uh, this is something that GW loved to write in a lot. I mean, we had that with, what, Boris Goldgather and so on. Uh, I don't know, maybe they're kind of going for the whole, we need to, uh, we need to be, show ourselves to be the superpower, we need to take the fight to them. Uh, it's a weird concept. I'm, I'm fine with them going, you know, west, going to the Mountains of Morn, go deal with the Chaos Dwarves, go deal with the Ogres and so on. North has always been this weird thing for me because obviously uh, we we've read you know books like Wolfric and and uh, Sigvald and so on where they go further north and then we start to hear about the monstrosities there and stuff like that. It's like if you're going to be dealing with that type of stuff constantly, uh, I don't know, man. Like how it, it's very difficult to justify. Obviously, this is still Warhammer and GW is known to retcon everything and anything. So maybe we get like a magic bonk hammer, which we can clean everything up or something. But I don't know. It, yeah, and I I do think that there is there's probably like a good couple hundred miles um, north of the border of Cathay where things don't get super crazy. 
Um, because like the eastern steps are not terribly chaos tainted. I think there's a small amount of taint, but you definitely would be dealing with a lot of raids. You know, a lot of uh, monsters wandering south and uh, raids of warriors of chaos and stuff. And I think going north of the Great Bastion would definitely be seen as a challenge by a lot of chaos cultures and attract a lot of attention. But I guess I have to wonder if, like, um, but based on Cubicle 7's or interpretation of that storyline, if maybe they're positing the idea that, like, the Celestial Dragon Emperor is just feeling that confident, or maybe uh, Cathay just hasn't been able to expand their territory in a long time, and he's kind of, you know, trying to figure out how can we expand um, without in a way that is satisfying to them. Like, maybe they think, okay, well, we have the Great Bastion to fall back on, if we end up losing this expansion, so, you know, we won't be pushed back too far, um, as opposed to if we went west against the Ogres and they start pushing us back, we don't have kind of like a nice natural border to then rally our defenses on. You know, the Ogres could just keep coming. Or if we go south and piss off the, the Naga of Koresh, once again, they don't have like a great wall or some notable fortress to defend them if they end up losing that war. Uh, to fall back on. So maybe that could be what it is, is that the Great Bastion kind of gives you a rallying point, like a staging ground for mm -hmm. if an invasion does come south, you can kind of um, you know, rally your armies there to head them off to make sure a counter-invasion doesn't uh, uh, push too far. True, true. I mean, uh, I think around the time before Rick Priestley left GW, he said that the scaling was more or less four times our world. Wouldn't surprise me. So if that's the case, then yeah, there is a definite amount of territory up there, which would be right for the pickings, as you said. So yeah, that does make a lot of sense. Uh, it would be an easy way, because a lot of that is steps, you know, there's a lot of mountains. It's very, uh, you can use that for a lot of strategic planning for warfare and so on. Uh, it's doable. Oh yeah, uh, now whether it be smart or not is <laughs> yeah. a totally different discussion. But um I uh and cuz I I mean I'm sure there's valuable materials up there. I mean if there's anything we learned from the Chaos Wars, it seems that the further north you go into mountainous environments, the richer uh the land tends to be. But, you know, it comes with the offshoot of there's probably nastier things there too. Um but uh, probably the biggest advantage I could think of for Cathay for actually wanting to expand north is that you would actually open up a trade route through the Road of Skulls, which means you could avoid the Ogres. So you wouldn't have to pay the Ogres all those uh, taxes to go through their lands. Because you can't fight through the Mountain of the Morn, right? You have, you have to pay off the likes of Greasus, or else you're just not getting through. Which, I guess is an interesting thing, because obviously we know here that the Mandarins want to subjugate the Ogre Kingdoms, and maybe they're just thinking up of a backup plan in case the campaign north fails? Yeah, it could be. Because, um, I mean, at least in... Uh, uh, couldn't... Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but I would think that it's probably, or at least in Cathay's opinion, it's probably less disastrous to deal with a foe they already have, being like the hobgoblin tribes and the northern barbarians who already attack them anyway, then it would be to immediately go west and piss off the ogres who currently kind of have like a pseudo-non-aggression 
you know, where they're they're not really enemies these days, um, because the ogres uh, are kind of so far away enough that they don't bother each other too much because they've got the ancient giant land separating them, um, and also Cathay kind of <laughs> went a little overboard last time <laughs> with the whole Great Maw incident, but yeah. um, so uh, I because it it seems that the way it's written is that the emperor at least favors going north. But there are some people who want to go uh, west. But uh, if you had to pick, which do you think would be a more interesting campaign? Oh, I mean, north would present a lot more enemies. Um, possibly not so difficult than going west. West would probably be the more brutal fight because you'd have to go close to the actual uh, moor itself. You'd be fighting the ogres in home turf, where I. Myself, I'm more worried about ogre tribes than I am of, say, Kurgan tribes, which are known to fight against each other and so on. Yeah, so I, I agree. I absolutely agree. Exactly. You know, I, like, you're dealing with, um, who knows what else the ogres have themselves? Because obviously we know that they've got some Sky Titan stuff and so on. They might have some stuff in home, which could be a lot more terrifying than, say, that great cannon. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, especially if they were like in a push come to shove scenario. Um, exactly. Uh, and you're right; like the ogres are going to be a lot more organized. Like they have a leader. You know, Greasus is the over tyrant. He can actually force the tribes to get together. Whereas if you go north, there is no big leader. Uh, assuming you're not dealing with an Archaon scenario, in which case you got other problems. But um, yeah, I absolutely 100% agree with that. That going north would probably be a much easier prospect <laughs> than going west. Um, also, I think the terrain is less deadly, frankly, uh, until you yeah. hit the Chaos Waste. Once you hit the Chaos Waste, obviously, you don't want to go any further, but going west, like go going through the Ancient Giant Lands or the Warpstone Desert, or like just a lot of really nasty, nasty places. Hmm. The only way I would actually be worried about going up north, personally, is if they decided, yeah, like, Tamukon is canon through the game, because obviously that is a person who united tribes, that's a person who, who's obviously very, very powerful, almost Archeon level, that would make me worried, because, I don't know, he's just more imposing than just some random tribes. True, but it could also mean now's the time to strike, since Tarmacon only recently died, so maybe the tribes are... Uh, less powerful than they normally would be because they just did a really big invasion. Very good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot. He he dies, what, about... I think he like, dies in, like, 2513 or 2517. He, he died, like, super recently. Uh, yeah. If you're yeah. going by the timeline of, like, 2520 is the modern day. Hmm. Um. So... Uh, kind of the last thing um, to just uh, talk about uh, for anyone that's curious is to have kind of a note that um, that uh, for those uh, interested to see more, uh, Cubicle 7 actually has been doing a fair amount of little stuff uh, with Cathay. Um, they've been busy with a lot of things, which um, I guess we can kind of talk about briefly in that um, uh, Cathay or uh, Cubicle 7, has been very busy writing a lot of lore. Um, I actually haven't read them yet, but I have these two books next to me, uh, just to kind of showcase, of um, uh, which are physical copies now, which you can get, like, the archives of the Empire, 
and I need to tell my camera to be flipped. Uh, and then uh, uh, Mindenheim as well. Um, so they've been um, writing a ton of lore uh, for fantasy, but there are a lot of changes. Um, it, it's a little bit controversial. Um, um, it's not like a straight one-to-one, -one, uh, like, oh, it's 8th edition, but better. Um, some of the stuff they do is a little... Um, it, it depends on how you feel about it, um, which um, I, I'm curious to hear Nathan's thoughts on it uh, uh, as far as uh, if you've read these books yet and stuff, and if you have, what have you thought of them, especially in regards to the fact that Cubicle 7 does like to make a lot of changes, um, because it seems like they're almost trying to update a lot of the old lore, so sometimes instead of just running with like 8th edition lore as we know it, they decide to do like 8th edition lore while mixing in some bits of 3rd edition and 5th edition, but like updating them a bit. So sometimes they have to replace things from 8th edition. What are your, what are your thoughts so far? So my understanding um, is that they've been given the green light by Games Workshop in a very similar way that CA have it. They create stuff and then they send it to be approved. And this might be a way as for them to um, carry on the torch. Because obviously we know that... Uh, in tabletop standards, we're going from 3rd edition all the way to 8th, so they're probably trying to do the same thing with law. Uh, it's actually a really important note, actually, is in the past two years, like, I know everyone's sick to death about hearing this from me, but Araby's actually received a lot of new law through <laughs> Cubicle 7. Like, yes, they yes, even they made, have. Mm -hmm. like, a game and everything, like, it was like a, it's a tabletop game inside of it and stuff. And the amazing thing about that is, is obviously it's approved by Games Workshop. This is why this cafe thing was so important to me. Uh, this looks like to be the the new timeline, maybe? I, I think there's a reasonable argument there. And uh, it's also worth noting for everyone, uh, at least in my opinion, that uh, you, know, you should expect a lot of changes from uh, uh, 8th edition canon, which, you know, like, the stuff that I kind of do is 8th edition canon very explicitly, because that's just where fantasy ended. But, like, we know going into, which we'll discuss this actually as our next major topic in a minute, um, going into the old world, that there are going to be a lot of changes as far as a lot of elements that did not exist in 8th edition are going to be resurrected from older editions, or, and the world just can't be the same as it was. Um, things are going to change, um, which is not a bad thing. Um, it's just it's just a different thing. Um, so um, unless you've got any other notes uh, to include on Cubicle Seven's works, I think we can go ahead and head off to the next topic. Nothing too much, barring the fact that obviously we know some units are coming in, uh, like for example, celestial dragon monks we've seen here mentioned, which I believe were mentioned in a very early edition of tabletop uh yes celestial dragon monks have been around since uh, at minimum they've been around since sixth edition warhammer fantasy but they've never because yeah. the for whatever reason the uh their their like home they're like whatever their little um shrine is that they come from where like the celestial dragon monks train and stuff has always been included on the world maps even through eighth edition I mean, it's it's curious because obviously this is outright mentioning stuff. Obviously, we know that uh, Weijin remains to be the capital. Um, the, from what I've seen, I, I like like this is just coming from me as as a fan. I really think that 
Cubicle 7's kind of done better in some cases uh, than GW has with their own law. <laughs> oh, I agree. And I, I don't think that's too much of a shocker just because, like, when you're dealing with an RPG company, they tend to be a lot more invested in, like, good story writing <laughs> than just trying to sell minis. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, that was kind of the case in old fantasy, too. Of If you're back in, like, 6th edition, then I would argue that the best place to get most of your lore was from the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 2nd edition, not mm. from just just the army books and stuff. Um, yeah. You know, 4th edition isn't going to be everyone's cup of tea, though I do highly recommend it, personally. Uh, and I think Nathan does as well. Of that it... A, it's a fantastic roleplay system. Um, I think everyone should give it a try. I think you'd be shocked on how fun it is once you get used to it. But, um, by the way, hashtag not sponsored. <laughs> but, um, uh, it, there are some differences. You know, um, the, they, uh, probably the biggest change that I know of that I think for a lot of fantasy people that are like, kind of, um, like myself where you see change and you're like, ugh, um, is that um, they kind of redrew some of the borders of like the um the empire itself as far as like what were the active provinces they changed some of the elector counts um and like changed just a couple things but once again i don't think that's um a bad thing um but uh that's enough on that particular topic i think i think we've kind of run into the ground uh not well not really but i'm sure we could keep going for hours but um that'll be enough for now and just a quick update of that if you really really like the look of the cathay stuff and you're like man i'd love to see more of cubicle 7 stuff uh like nathan said with araby and cathay and even end they talk about a lot of these places um uh you can actually find a surprising amount of their lore in the core rule book um uh like even when you're in the character design pages like they have all the different careers that you can play they actually have like some of them from different realms. They have, like, artwork of, like, a Cathayan... Oh, gosh, I don't remember what the career is. Um, I think it's something... I think it's, like, a, a dignitary or ambassador or something. Um, I forget... Yeah. I forget... Uh, or Envoy! It's the Envoy career class. I think has Cathayan artwork. Um, so if that sounds interesting to you, uh, check those books out. But, uh, Nathan, why don't you go ahead and... Uh, Take us into our next topic, which is going to be going into uh, uh, something a little familiar uh, that we talked about a little bit earlier already. Right, so this would be the Old World Rules. Um, we're hearing a lot of stuff. A lot, a lot of stuff. And the thing is, now with Games Workshop obviously confirming quite a few rumors that were obviously packed in with the other stuff, like, for example, obviously, you know, square bases, back to normal. Uh, you can use your old minis. They're going from 3rd edition to 8th edition, which I think very, very few people believe that rumor in the past because, you know, you're going back, like, what, 20-something years worth of rule books, Supplements, campaign books, and just so, so much. And then, you know, then they started mentioning... Races which haven't existed in, the, in so long, like centaurs and half-orcs and stuff like that, which all kind of falls around certain rumors that you've seen on Reddit and Facebook and, and all those places, like, for example, that we were going to start seeing a compendium book very similar to that of uh, the uh, how 30k handles a new edition. Um, 
that we were going to start seeing a rollout of new stuff. Like I've heard all these rumors that we're going to get the first box is going to be Kislev versus Korn, which kind of makes sense considering would be would be a slam dunk sales wise. <laughs> yeah, and then there's loads of rumors that there's a Bretonian army that's almost fully designed now. Wouldn't surprise me. I mean, Bretonia is probably going to have to be. So, um, I, I think um, the interesting thing to, to kind of touch on a couple of things that we've uh, already uh, heard that you mentioned. Uh, I guess we should probably start with bringing back things that nobody, I, I don't think many people predicted they would be brought back, like half orcs. I'll be honest, I don't even know what a half orc is. Like, half orc, half what? I've heard some people say half human. Uh, I've heard some people say. Like, like I've thought that maybe that's like a new goblinoid type. So maybe like something between a goblin and an orc is called a half orc. Um, but I don't know. I didn't play third edition. So I went back into the lore for it. Uh, I've got the books, and it was it was weird because obviously the lore has changed. Remember that early early editions, GW was a bit um, extra, very similar. <laughs> Like, uh, very similar to how uh, Thamia and Old Beastmen used to breed, you know? The big R word. Yeah, yeah. That was, a, that was a really major trope in the 80s and 90s. Exactly. But apparently the law has been changed that it's very similar to that on how the, uh, the Black Orcs were created. So it's Chaos Dwarf Magic and stuff like that. Which is really, really interesting. They're supposed to be tall, they're supposed to be lanky. Uh... They're supposed to be very human-like, which kind of makes me think of the Cruel Boys, you know? Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that, actually. They, they do actually sound very similar in vain to the Cruel Boys, as far as, like, design. So that's why it's like, um... Like, I, I was a bit curious, because I saw them, I'm like, wow, these, these look very human. The, the, if the Cruel Boys would have had hair, then that would have sold it for me. I would have gone, these are the ones that we're going to see. Uh, especially since they do fit on squares, by the way. I did test out the theory. <laughs> but, yeah. like... Yeah, that's... I mean, that is that is super interesting. Um, I, I'm curious how they're going to go with it, because, you know, it's, it's like, super well-established now in the lore of, like, okay, so, um, greenskins are fungi. You know, they're not, they're not animals. Um, but, for the concept, like, half-orcs to exist, something, <laughs> something had to have happened. Um, which I, I do agree with you that maybe going with the, the Chaos War philosophy of, like, someone or something tinkered with Greenskins and created a new breed on accident. Um, but, it, it, you know, I, I'm not expecting them to be a direct one-to-one -one of what they used to be. I'm assuming they're going to update their lore to try and make them make sense um, within the universe. But who knows where they're going to be? Like, personally, I'm expecting, honestly, the way that things are going, I'm kind of expecting the Hobgoblins to kind of be more of a thing. Um, it, it, like, kind of, like, their own faction, as opposed to just being lackeys of the Chaos Dwarfs, um, and, like, fitting half-orcs into that, and, of course, they did mention, uh, something called a Hobhound, which, um, Hobhounds, for all we know, uh, I, that could just be what they call their wolves, but it also could be they're something kind of like squigs, but maybe they're, like, the orc equivalent to a squig. Where or a hobgoblin equivalent to a squig, where it's like a separate breed of creature that specifically uh, lives with and is ridden to war by the hobgoblin. 
that could work out really well, especially, uh, I don't know if you follow a lot of 40k, uh, but they've just introduced like a new uh, sub-faction, very similar to that of the snake bites for the, um, for the, for the orcs there. And they've got new squigs there, which are kind of uh, well-built, chunky boys, right? Yeah, they're and, hefty. They're hefty squigs. Yeah. And like that could work really well if they're going to introduce something new and give like kind of dog-like squig riders. I'd really love that. I mean, we know more or less that we're going to get that because like there's um, GW when it came to the AOS stuff, they've said that um, the new Uruk Codex, Codex, or sorry, Battle Tome is an Uruk Battle Tome. They don't mention Grots. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I think I think the Grots are gonna stay in the uh, Gloom Spike Gets book. That's kind of well, like uh, the Grot book. I think they're gonna get something new because there's loads of rumors about. Uh, that's a rumor I heard about Forest Goblin units kind of returning, and then obviously the Hobgoblins having their own faction because we know that they're their own thing. Uh, I've got the Extremist book, and it mentions there that they work for the Chaos uh, Dwadin, but they also have their own thing. So it's like, ooh, you know, maybe a, a new green skin goblin. Well, kind of yellow skin, aren't they, more or less? But like, uh, <laughs> yeah, like light green, light green. <laughs> yeah, but like a new gobbo faction, which is pretty cool because I'm almost certain that a lot of the models that we're going to see in Age of Sigma are going to be backward compatible with old world. Or at least that's my hope, you know. Well, no, and I I agree. I I think that it is actually not bizarre like you know there's a pretty you mentioned it earlier there's a lot of people who i think very intelligently have been uh whenever a new release comes out being like can this fit on the old square base sizes and if they can <clears throat> excuse me if they can i don't think that's coincidence pick it up sure um but this most important thing to me to see if they could fit on the squares because this is a project I'm working on. Because obviously everyone knows where my allegiance lies when it comes to chaos. Uh, look, they rank. These are the Knights uh, of Sinesh. They can rank up no problem. You just have to move them around with this guy's video. Yeah, it, it just seems very deliberate. Like, the, yeah. thing, the things that would make sense to appear in fantasy, spoilers, fit on fantasy bases <laughs> which is just like oh wow <laughs> what a surprise uh, but it kind of is a genuine surprise i mean the uh, there was a huge like we've had it 100 percent confirmed now but there was a huge conspiracy thing for ages about how some people were like oh i bet age of sigmar stuff will be backwards compatible and uh fantasy will be the same scale and other people were like no that's stupid you know gw just wants to maximize their money so they're going to make it a completely different scale but no we've had it 100 percent confirmed that it will be the same scale and that you're going to be able to use all of your old minis um so it only makes sense that things that fit that model scale may well be playable um maybe not everything um there are definitely some things of age of sigmar that just won't make sense in fantasy like caradron or what have you but um I do think there will be a significant amount of things. Um, but, um, so, uh, but, I mean, the old world is looking very exciting. Uh, as uh, Nathan's kind of saying, there there are a lot of uh, really interesting uh, rumors flying about as far as Hobgoblins coming out. Uh, we have rumors about a lot of big um, 
uh revivals of fantasy ranges like the forest goblins which uh, are a very old range uh, with the exception of the arachnorok um because the arachnorok was eighth edition but everything else was like sixth <laughs> yeah yeah but um and uh, of course new bretonia which they have to do um you know a part of me thinks that there was a long time where people were saying that oh they're gonna bring like a bretonia faction to aos and i almost wonder if that was the plan until games workshop finally was like you know what let's just bring the old world back and then they moved that to the old world because they were like you know what like we'll make it for the old world but maybe then you can get bretonia and just run them as cities of sigmar uh if you want to play aos because like um there's just nothing like them in aos you know there's not a giant human army that is mounted on horses and stuff Exactly, yeah. Which, granted, Age of Sigmar does seem moderately allergic to horses, um, <laughs> for whatever reason. But, um, you know, I guess it's like if you're going to have a wild fantasy setting, why would you settle for a horse mount, right? But, um, so, uh, I, so the question, so the, I guess the big thing is, uh, are there any other interesting rumors you've heard? And it, based on the rumors we have discussed, which, is, which one are, do you think you're the most, like, yeah, about? So, I heard... From a pretty reliable source, I'd say, uh, that they're going to try to bring in, in a very similar sense, to uh, faction rules. So, for example, if you play as Clan Pestilence, you have some rules specific to you. Uh, very similar to how 40k does it, you know, with all the different chapter rules and so on. Uh, nothing drastic, just a minor rule that will separate you from the, the other Skaven factions and so on. Okay, which... so sub-factions sub like we have in AOS. Yeah, and I like the idea as long as it's very minor and it just gives you incentive to paint in a certain color. Because, like, I, for example, uh, Empire was I like Avalon's color scheme. I want a reason why to paint my troops as Avalon. Do you know? Uh, it's just because of that. Well, yeah, and I I think that would be genius and a lot more fun, frankly. Like, it's, like you said, especially if it's not like an overbearing rule, but something that's like, hey. If you really, like, uh, let's just have an example of, like, oh, okay, you really like Clan Pestilence units, and you're just like, man, I love Clan Pestilence, I wish I had, like, an incentive to run all Clan Pestilence as my army without, like, kicking myself in the, the knee because I'm not taking Skyrim and stuff, and they go, hey, if you run pure Clan Pestilence, or, like, you know, you make everything that's, like, neutral Clan Pestilence themed, here's a special rule you get. To make it your army a little more effective, considering that you're not going to have like doom wheels and stuff on the field, yeah. Um, which I think that'd be great. Like I would love as like a, a dwarf fan if like oh yeah I'm not just running dwarves I'm running Karazakarak dwarves, or I'm running Clan Angren dwarves, or um, if you're playing lizardmen like you're like oh yeah no I'm playing my sub faction is the Itza the first city or my sub faction is Hexawaddle. Uh, I, I think that would be a great idea. Yeah, I mean, we had a similar thing, uh, like, for example, the 7th edition book for Skaven, where if you played Sprawl, you could make Plague Monks Core and stuff like that. The problem is, of course, um, you know, as much as I do, the characters were horrendously overcosted, so there was no point in most cases, you know? Yeah, yeah, that was definitely a theme in 7th edition, was that you had, you had a number of characters, usually lords, who would allow you to run um, themed armies. So uh, for anyone that isn't familiar with the concept, um, the, the game had a lot of restrictions on how you could run certain things. Like certain units would count as special or rare, which meant that you could only, you had like unit caps. 
um, yeah. and you had to have a certain amount of core. Well, there were certain characters that would mix that system up. So they would be like, hey, take this rare unit or this special unit. Now they count as core, or maybe a rare unit now counts as special. So you could take a lot more of them. Um, notable examples, of course, being like Lord Skrulk, I think, would make Plague Monks core. Um, Krokgar for the Lizardmen could make Cold One Riders core. Um, a lot of stuff like that. And uh, most of the time, it wasn't worth it um, because it was just a really high price to pay for something so niche um, because it was tied to a character, um, which was, was just kind of the downside. But, I mean, there were times it was good. You know, if, like, there were people that ran Throg, the Troll King, uh, for Warriors of Chaos, and he made trolls really good if they were, like, yeah. core, so there'd be a lot of trolls. But um, I, it would definitely, I think, be much better if that could just be part of your list building. Of like, you know what? I want to run. Um, I want to run a sub faction, which sub factions ha did exist. Um, they just weren't really used for a long time. You know, technically the end times had sub factions. The Storm of Chaos had sub factions back in sixth edition because you could be like, I'm going to run, uh, you know, the Slayer Army of Kadakadrin, or I'm going to run Clan Eshin for Skaven uh, during the Storm of Chaos. So I think bringing that back would be a slam dunk. It would be super fun as long as they do their best to balance them because. Despite despite what the more casual hobbyers uh, of Warhammer say, balance is important <laughs> to the game. It's, it is very important. How many times did you just tease a tournament by just abusing one rule? You know? Yeah, well, it's like not. You're correct that not everyone in the hobby is a hobbyist, how or uh, is a hardcore player. However, like if the rules are bad, that has mm -hmm. always resulted in the game suffering immensely like people stop playing <laughs> or move to a different game um i always have i always get salty with like uh painters or like uh uh people that just build minis or stuff and they're like oh the rules who cares about the rules it's like ah, oh, <laughs> everyone <laughs> there, there was a point uh during early eighth edition where i stopped playing my skaven because the skaven were just so top tier it's like it's just no fun winning all the time because nobody can match up until everyone else gets their army booked, you know? Yeah, which was just so... 8th edition. I love it, I love it, but man, it did have some flaws. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, any other rumors you wanted to discuss, or do you think we're good to move on? So, uh, I'm thinking that we need to see a proper release. My issue is that... Um, Obviously, they're going, oh yeah, you can use your old minis and stuff like that, which is great. But how many new people want to get into Old World? Uh, I've heard that they want to do like multiple release boxes very, very close to each other, like just throwing out the lines. And while I would personally love that, because obviously I'm a collector, you're a collector, so you know, we just throw them into the pile and let them <laughs> gather dust. <laughs> um, yes, another box for my collection. <laughs> I don't, like, I don't pay uh, minis. <laughs> I just collect boxes. That's pretty much what's going on. You can see them back there, can't you? <laughs> yeah, I have the same thing up on top of my shelf over here. But, like, uh, I, I want to see, like, releases scheduled in a, in a sense that we see new factions maybe one once a month. The problem is, like, it's not like Age of Sigma or, like, 30k or 40k where everything's already there and established. This is kind of building up from the ground up. But if they release everything in one go, people are just going to get overwhelmed and not know what to buy. 
Yeah, well, and I, I, I agree. I, I think it's going to kind of be like when we saw Age of Sigmar roll out, but probably done a little bit better, uh, because they just hadn't done that in so long. Like, Games Workshop had not released, like, a new game. Um, but I think Age of Sigmar was kind of a good test run for them in that, because you're right, you can't just release, like, you can't just be like, all right, here's all eight playable factions right at the start. Like, good luck. <laughs> like, people would just be like, I, I don't know what to buy. Um, and that's just, you're just losing money at that point. Um, yeah. So, from like a business perspective. So, I, I agree that what I'm thinking they're going to do is really come out and be like, hey, here's a, like, here's the first box. So, like, hey, here's Kislev versus Korn. And then literally every month or every other month have, like, a new versus box come out. So, like, here's Bretonia versus Greenskins. Here's Beastmen versus Empire. Or maybe, like, uh, I, like we're not exactly sure how they're going to split it up yet. Uh, but, you know, uh, whether the Empire is going to be one faction or multiple factions or what. But, um, you know, here's Dwarfs versus Skaven. Um, I do think that the cleverness behind um, allowing people to use their old minis, just like they did in AOS, is to have it where, like, hey, here's a big honkin' book that's got all the rules for all your old minis. So if your army has not been released yet um, and you're just waiting, here is the book that you will buy that has all your rules so that you can still play. But if you play Bretonia, come look at this shiny new box <laughs> that has your entire faction. Uh, and I imagine, I imagine they'll do what they've been doing, where they'll have a versus box that has a lot of the minis, and then maybe two or three months after that, they will release the entire range, which will have even more minis. Um, to kind of double dip, um, where it's like, I, you know, like, for example, let's think about Bretonia. I could see, like, Bretonia being the starter box has, like, hey, here's King Lewin Orc Slayer, along with a unit of Grail Knights, a unit, like, a trebuchet, and some peasants and a damsel, right? That's, yeah. like, that's the starter versus box. And then a month later, not only did they release the range, uh, like the first wave, which is those minis plus here's Knights of the Realm, here's Knights Errant, here's uh, pet, like here's maybe Foot Knights, uh, and here's like some other stuff. Uh, here's some terrain, uh, because terrain is like really hot right now, uh, as like a side thing to release with it. I know the 40k community isn't into it, but the AOS community is super into it. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, I would, I would love thematic terrain to come out with every army. Um, so, uh, I, I, I think that that would probably be the wisest way to approach the old world. Um, cause like, I'm personally, I'm not expecting Lizardmen to get anything. If, if, if they even get anything, not for a long time. Um, yeah. so like, I'm just going to be using old minis. Um, but like, as a, like, if you're into dwarfs, like old school dwarfs, um, I think that you are definitely on the list, but you're probably going to be a little further down in that initial release set. You know, I think, like, Kislev, Bretonia, and the Empire are probably going to be the highest priorities, because yeah. they, uh, Bretonia and, and Kislev, I think, are the highest, because they just don't have a one-to-one -one reference in AOS. You know, if you yeah. play Empire, well, you can just use the old Empire minis until you get your new minis. But if you're playing Kislev or Bretonia, you don't really have anything um unless you're one of those people that's super lucky and has still has an old army or you bought them all off ebay or something would you like to see the return 
Oh, I wish I had mine here, but I cannibalized the boxes recently. You remember those big, big, big army boxes? Those glorious ones. Huge. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, oh, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, I've got one. I was like, oh, wait, no, I've... <laughs> um, I don't know if we're going to see the return of those, to be honest. Um, I, I think for GW, like, they weren't... Like, I, I still think we'll see, like, the big versus boxes occasionally. Mm. But Games Workshop seems to just have way more success with smaller boxes that are like in the one hundred, like never more than two hundred dollars, you know. Yeah. Um, which in modern Games Workshop, unfortunately, can only get you so far because their prices are kind of outrageous these days. But unfortunately, that's just <laughs> it's just something we have to deal with unless like the community gets organized uh, to push mm -hmm. back against it. But um. I I don't think we're gonna see the return of like the truly glorious giant boxes from back in the day. Um, I do think you'll still. I I do think they will do that on holiday still. So like something that Games Workshop does right now is around Christmas they'll release a bunch of yeah. like exclusive boxes, which is actually how I got my Night Haunts so big. Um, most of my Night Haunt army I got from a Christmas box that had like, I think it had like fifty minis in it plus Cardos Valentian. Um, which was just great value. Like, I saved a ton of money picking up that box. Yeah, the, those Christmas battle boxes is how I finished up some of my 40k armies because uh, they, they're very good value for money. And I, I wish we could see them uh, for, for Old World because the, 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 the issue is, right, like, I'm looking at some of the, um, uh, the stock collecting kits. If we translate them to Warhammer Fantasy, a lot of them are kind of useless because obviously you need core and stuff like that. And I'm assuming that Old mm -hmm. World is going to have this core requirement. Because yeah, and going back to rank and file, it's probably going to be a much larger game, too. Because, mm. um, like, what's the. Like, rank and file isn't really fun if you only have 10 guys in a unit. Like, you really. Like, rank and file is only really good if you're dealing with, like, 15 plus guys per unit um, for rank and file. And, like, that's already going to, like, blow 40k and fantasy out of, or AOS out of the water when it comes to the amount of models you need on the table. Um, you know, it, kind of a good comparison for anyone watching is that, like, in a Age of Sigmar, normally you'll have, like, 100 wounds on the table. So that means if you combine the health of every single mini you have on the table, including all your big monsters and stuff, you'll have, like, 100 wounds. In fantasy, you would usually have 100 models on the table <laughs> which is like so much more um and like if you're gonna do fantasy properly like you don't want it to be like tiny skirmishes you want like okay i've got like three core units that have like 20 guys each so yeah. that's like that's at minimum 60 guys already then i've got like a monster i've got a special unit like you're just easily gonna have these gigantic forces um mm -hmm. which is fine but that also means that you're right. The, the current box releases are just completely not appropriate. Um, yeah. They're, they're going to need to have um, larger sets, or at least sets that are scaled differently. Because yeah. the AOS sets are kind of like, all right, here's like a unit of five cav, here's a unit of ten soldiers, and a big guy. Um, they're probably going to have to like do sets that are more like, here's here's sixty. Like, here's 20 of this core unit, 20 of this core unit, 20 of this core unit. And I'd be like, yeah, take my money. <laughs> I would love, um, like, one of those big battle boxes. Like, the, the, my, my fear, and I have a genuine fear about this. Um, everything's going to sell out 
within two minutes and the cry. <laughs> yeah, we'll have we'll have to see. Like, I mean, Games Workshop. One of the things that's been leveled against them that I firmly agree with is that they've been doing a really bad job of introducing artificial scarcity um, to try and drive up prices, which sucks. Um, and hopefully, I, yeah, we'll just have to see what happens. But we got to move on. We, we're actually way over time <laughs> on that subject. All right, so. Uh, another thing we're going to talk about today um, is we're going to talk about some Total War because what kind of <laughs> what kind of wherever podcast would we be if we didn't discuss Total War? Um, so um, uh, we're going to keep this one a little shorter because uh, uh, yeah. it's something we kind of talked with individually and we're a little over time. So uh, yeah. as far as like where we should be right now. Um, so one second, one second. Uh, oh, sure. Do you mind if I go to the kitchen very quickly? I just yeah, go for it, dude. <laughs> I've been up thirty hours. Yeah. <laughs> That man <laughs> needs to get some sleep. Um, thank you all for joining us, by the way. Um, I don't know how many people are, are watching over on Nathan's channel, but hello. Um, I hope you're all uh, doing well. I've got a good audience over here on Twitch, so it's lovely to uh, see you all here today. Thank you. Um, but uh, so for our next subject, we're going to basically just be discussing very briefly um, our thoughts on the what we believe to be the end state of Total War Warhammer 2. Um, personally, I, I think Nathan would agree with this. I think there's a very high chance we'll get at least one more patch to fix some things. Um, and if we're super lucky, maybe they'll squeeze in like another Legendary Lord. Um, but, you know, there's not going to be any more like DLCs um, with like bunches of units and stuff. So we're going to just kind of briefly discuss what are our thoughts on... Um, how Warhammer 2 has been, uh, the overall like experience, and uh, how we feel about its ending um, spot. So, uh, Nathan, why don't you uh, go ahead and give us your thoughts on that? Yeah. Oh, oh there you go. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I do think that we're going to get another patch soon and another Legendary Lord FLC, because obviously I checked the repos, there's one left, and it's always like when there's a repo... We can always expect something. I mistakenly thought it was going to be either a vampire count or a green skin, completely forgetting about Grom, because I don't know why. I honestly don't know why I forgot about Grom. I feel really bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe vampire counts, and that means that we've got all game one races, barring, of course, uh, Chaos and Norska, which we kind of guessed are going to be updated in game three. So more or less, Creative Assembly's original idea is there. Um, Game-wise, we're in a good place, barring some issues, like Cavalry is kind of broken at the moment. Uh, I think Razorgore Chariots are just, like, haunted. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the, the Tuscore Chariot has some funny yeah. issues. And uh, you can pretty much dominate with, what, just two Wargores, two, uh, two uh, uh, beast, uh, beast, uh, Beastman Shamans and a... Um, and a, and a gore ball or something, or a doom ball. It's like, well, it's a bit weird. But uh, game-wise, I mean, we're at a good place. At least things have been fixed up. The Beastmen desperately needed a fix. It took one, It took them, what, five years? Um, I think I would have liked some other more thematic stuff, like, you know, um, Dwarf versus Skaven, because uh, it's weird that we haven't actually gotten a DLC revolving around that yeah uh, yeah uh it's just it completely throws me off but like we have to admit that obviously 
game one to game two comparisons, game two is such a good place. Like, yeah, I agree. I, I just hope that we can just fix up the issues because, like, we still, as far as we are aware, we're getting the game, what, probably around end of year, maybe if there's a delay early next year. Uh, there's some issues with the game, some bugs that need to be fixed. I mean, that mag the infinite magic buff was fixed, uh, bug was fixed, but now you have infinite fireballs, which is horrible for multiplayer. Um, really, really, really bad. You just break the game with that, which is absolutely... Yeah. I, I don't know how that happens. Yeah, you, you, you know the fireball bug is bad when the AI uses it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which it does. <laughs> Super uh, weird. I, that happened once. I was like, wait, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was in a... I had the same thing happen. I was in a fight and all of a sudden the AI just started going like pew, pew, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> um... I, uh, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, th I think overall game two was a rousing success and definitely, um, really was kind of the heart of what I think the trilogy will ultimately end up being. Um, like I, I'm hoping three will be spectacular and is able to bring in just as big of a new audience as two did. But like, you know, we have to give full credit to for really being the game that captured the hearts of a lot of people particularly, especially with, like, the Tomb Kings and the Vampire Coast, uh, which were phenomenal DLCs that I don't think anyone can complain about. Uh, they were just brilliantly well handled. Yeah. Um, uh, I do agree, though, that I do think there were some pretty big missteps along the way. Um, uh, probably the most egregious that stand out to me personally was that they had a really good cycle going of doing Game 1 versus Game 1, or, or sorry, game two versus game two, and then doing game one versus game two, but there was, I guess they did not communicate very well, or someone on the team just got a weird issue where they decided to do Skaven versus Dark Elves instead of keeping it going with, like, Skaven versus Dwarves and then Dark Elves versus Vampires, which would have been a slam dunk. Um, yeah. And there was no reason for them not to do it. Um, it's not... I don't, I don't think it's like they didn't have enough time or something. I think they would have had plenty and they would have made a lot of money. Um, I, you know, uh, speaking of, like, you know, me me and Nathan have the privilege to, like, know a lot of people <laughs> and speak with a lot of people. And one of the most infamous conversations for me personally uh, regarding uh, Warhammer, which I can't reveal the, the source of who said it, but I was speaking with someone from CA uh, about, like, why... And this was around... This was during the uh, Skaven versus Dark Elves um period and i i literally asked them like why didn't y'all do dwarves versus skaven like what what's what's the deal guys and the literal and they they just looked at me and were like where where would we have put the dwarves <laughs> and it's just like what are you talking about where you put the dwarves like You've literally got two dwarf factions on your vortex map. <laughs> Where do you think you're gonna put them? Um, and you know, here we are uh, after a lot of complaining by the community with a dwarf free LC that fixed the faction because the community just kept bitching about it. I mean, yeah. I, everyone needs to be keenly aware that was not the original plan. There was n nowhere in the original plan were they going to bring in Thoric Ironbrow as free LC. And update the dwarf faction. That only happened because the community consistently 
brought up that that was a huge problem. Uh, oh yeah, you're right. There are three dwarf factions on Vortex. I always forget about the Vulture Mountain dwarfs. Um, so um, I, I will say that 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 unfortunately I think is going to be kind of the haunting specter for Warhammer Two was that the vampire counts and the dwarfs kind of got shafted, and the dwarf issue kind of got resolved, but it also kind of came at the cost um, of uh, some other factions. Um, I also do think, personally, I will say that as a fan of the Lizardmen, like a really big, deep Lizardmen fan, personally, I'm just not a fan of how Creative Assembly handled the Lizardmen overall. Um, uh, but granted, that's a very personal thing for me in that I'm not a fan of their design philosophy for the Lizardmen. Uh, I think the only thing that they changed that I liked was the Saurus. Uh, actually, yeah. that's not true. I also liked a, a lot of the monster changes. I think the Salamanders and the Razordons were vastly improved. But I, you know, I'm my community is well aware of the memes, uh, for how I feel about it. But like, I'm not a fan of the Croxagors or the Slon, um, and how they handled those redesigns. But uh, overall, I agree with Nathan that I think Warhammer Two was a great experience, and uh, they should be super proud of themselves. But I hope Warhammer Three will make Warhammer Two look like Warhammer Two made Warhammer One look like. <laughs> So uh, I, I'm a little bit like, because um, my favorite Chaos God is the one that gets shafted throughout 40 years of law. So I'm here like thinking, oh God, this is going to be horrible for me because I'm going to bitch through a lot of videos if Sinesh is not cool, man. <laughs> nah, I, I, th I think Sinesh, like I'll, I'll tell you, like once again, uh, um, I, from one of my sources, I've heard that Sinesh is like, oh, like, oh, <laughs> super good. Uh, so we saw the design uh, of the artwork of the demonettes, and they look fantastic. Uh, I had a slight complaint, though, because one of them had the four bikini, and it's like, well, they're supposed to be kind of hermaphroditic, you know? They're supposed to have both, so four bikini just makes them all too feminine. They're supposed to be like an even split in a way. Well, not so much like 50, not 50 50, but with like changes depending on the demonette, you know? Maybe she just had the rare double boob mutation. Yeah. <laughs> or may maybe she ended up like half female, half thin boy. So they decided, she decided to go with the full bra. <laughs> See, like, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm really protective over Sinesh because obviously there were the rumors that they were trying to get rid of her in Age of Sigma and like, I'm I'm really really protective of my favorite Chaos God. Everyone else has like a God who's gotten loads of updates or is getting updates and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, I got the one that gets one really good book and then obviously a second really good storyline, the one of the Zazel, which is fantastic. And then everything else, it's like she plays comic relief, you know? It's like, oh yeah, yeah, man, I am I'm so excited to finally get a playable Nakari. Because, I mean, that's why Nakari always ended up being the butt of the joke, was that Nakari wasn't playable. So, he was, he, she, it, was just used as a, like, kind of as the class, the Avatar of Kane scenario, right? Where they would use Nakari to show how cool somebody else was. Yeah. Um, which is, you just never want that to happen with a character. Yeah, because, like, you, you become, it's very hard to then write yourself, that character into a position of strength again. I mean, they did it really well with Bellacor in Age of Sigma, but how long did that take to stop making him a complete joke? Yeah, well, and I, I think many, I think you, uh, hopefully you would agree with this, but, like, Slanesh has had a hell of a comeback story 
in recent okay. times of that Slanesh went from being literally a dead faction that Games Workshop was, we know, trying to get rid of mm -hmm. uh, to being probably one of the most popular Chaos factions now as far as, like, design goes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, they, they, they're gorgeous. The, the twins are just so good. And, like, design-wise, they're just so beautiful. I, I love the artwork. It's... Uh, they really are going full ham, and I hope that the rest of the Chaos Factions, because some of them kind of need, like, let's be honest, Zinch needs a bit of a visual push Yeah, Zinch needs some more, definitely needs some more mortals. Uh, Zinch is falling behind on mortals. Exactly. So hopefully they can all get that, because I'd love it to be completely even. We're never going to get that because it's Games Workshop, and they don't believe in keeping everything level. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, no, we're just like, <laughs> what are all the toys? Um, but you never know. You never know. All right, so we will uh, we will definitely come back and talk more about um, Slanesh. I think next time, uh, but we got to move on. So because yeah. uh, we're still behind time. <laughs> so um, all right. Um, uh, so the next thing we're going to discuss is actually um, a new uh, a classic series being brought back to find a home within this podcast, which is that we're going to do a discussion about a who would win matchup. Um, which is normally, this is where I would like play a stupid clip of something, but I didn't have time to sort it out yet. So, <laughs> so we're just going to go straight into it. Um, so um, for, for future who would wins, we're going to try to basically um, chat with y'all, the community, maybe on like Twitter um, or in our discords or something to try and get matchups from you guys. Um, for this episode, it was kind of last minute, <laughs> so we I put out uh, kind of an announcement video about this podcast yesterday, and we're going to be uh, just pulling from the comment sections on there, but we're going to do one matchup every episode so that we're not here for eternity. Some of the matchups will be very fast, some of them will be long, depending on how we feel about them, but uh, we looked over today's, and we rolled a dice to decide between a few of them, and today's matchup uh, is actually going to be Alithanar, the Shadow King, versus Marcus Wolfhart, the Huntsmaster of the Empire. So, uh, Nathan, what are your what are your initial thoughts on this on this this great battle between these two archer legends? Well, both of them are very very powerful in terms of like plot armor, you know. Uh, <laughs> very very incredible archers. Obviously, Alithanar has. Thousands of years of experience. Uh, Wolfhard has a, a very powerful bow. Uh, it's the amber bow, wasn't it? Yes, the amber bow. So, obviously, in terms of power scale from their weapons themselves, kind of even. Though, yeah. skill-wise, from years of experience, might give Alifanar a bit of a head, uh, a bit of a leg forward, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I will say that I, I think that um, while the proposed matchup makes sense from a thematic perspective, um, I, I personally find that there is there's a bit of a gap <laughs> between like um, uh, when when we're dealing with like equipment um, in particular. Uh, I think is what it, like I do think that Marcus Wolfhart uh, actually is a good matchup in dealing with the likes of Alithanar when it comes to someone who uh, is for a human that is surprisingly adept at good, having good experience to detect enemies um, and um, 
uh, land some just impressive shots. However, Marcus is crippled, I think, by his equipment, ultimately, uh, which I think the people that propose this matchup may not be aware of, and that the Amber Bow has a critical weakness. Um, the Amber Bow, uh, for those unaware, being a bow, a very, very, very impressively designed magical item that was enchanted by the Amber College um, of the um, Empire. Unfortunately, the Amber Bow is magically enchanted to kill monsters. And that the arrows are, like, practically heat-seeking um, and, like, zone in on vulnerable parts. I don't think that would help him against a Lithnar. Um, yeah. A Lithnar not being a monster, you know, he's just a humanoid. And a Lithnar, on the other hand, has the Moonbow, which was a gift from Lilaeth, uh, the goddess of prophecy. And the Moonbow in a, like, in a showdown with the Amberbow, I think, unfortunately, just heavily outclasses. Um, the Amber Bow. I like honestly. I think if the two of them were competing to like kill monsters and to see who got the most kills, I do think Wolfheart would win. Yeah. Um, but I think in a scenario where the two of them are shooting each other or trying to kill each other, I I do think that Alithnar has a just a substantial um, lead just based on their bows alone. Well, not only that, I'd say that uh, even if it was just hand to hand combat. Probably a Lithanar. I mean, Wolfhard's getting on with age at this point, whereas elves obviously stay quite, um, sorry, uh, quite virile for a while, you know? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Very, <I love> virile, nice. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, it, it's a thing where elves tend to be better fighters unless you're looking at a really really strong human who's just like been training all his life whereas he was wasn't he a farmer uh back in the day or something or uh, i think i think i think he was like just kind of a like a local hunter but wasn't like you know going after like giant game or anything but because yeah. i mean he did kill the um the i think it was like the drakenwald cyclops or something without the amber bow like he killed it um normally before he was ascended to the ranks of Hunts Marshal. So, like, he is a very skilled combatant, but you're right. He is getting older, um, and he's certainly not a melee combatant. Uh, yeah. he, he doesn't have any magical equipment to assist with that. You know, a Lithanar is, uh, is pretty spooky in a yeah. combat scenario. And a Lithanar also just, frankly, brings more equipment to the game. You know, uh, a Lithanar has the Shadow Crown. He also has the, uh, I think it's called the Moonlight Stone, or the Midnight Stone. Um, yeah which he stole from Morathy. Uh, so, like, you have, you just have a character who has a lot of stealth elements yeah. really working in his favor as well. You know, Alithanar is a hardcore assassin who hunts dark elves, um, yeah. whereas Marcus Wolfhard is a man who hunts monsters, which is admirable, but does not help him in this, uh, I think, in this matchup. Yeah, I mean, even if you compare them, if you don't go by uh, lore, but you go by tabletop, I mean, a Lithanar, like... Oh, yeah, blows him out of the water, not even a contest. Yeah. I mean, always strikes first, and uh, that the moon boy itself could fire like a bloody bolt thrower, couldn't it? Uh, yeah, it, it, it's... It, the, the enchantment on the moonbow means that the arrows it launches punch really hard. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it would be an interesting thing, because obviously then you have to take into account 
adrenaline and stuff like that. Humans can be quite surprising. I mean, we've seen Carl Franz in battle, and he's, like, defeated countless enemies. Obviously, we've had very impressive humans like Magnus before, just absolutely demolishing 100-year-old Chaos Warriors who are heavily mutated and so on. Oh, yeah, like, but, uh, humans, humans can be surprising. And, yeah. I mean, there are some uh, particular uh, hum human combatants um, who can be devastating. Like, not even, even before you get to Bretonia, where you have literal superhumans, um, you know, just in the Empire, like, like, Kurt Helborg is just a guy, but between his training and his magical equipment, he is a beast. Um, Volkmar the Grim is, like, insane. Um, but, um, I, I, I just think that like I said uh, earlier, I, I do genuinely believe that if you if we introduce this in a matchup of like a contest of like, hey, let's go out and kill the most monsters, I do think Wolfheart would actually have a very fair chance of yeah. not only matching but defeating a Lithanar. However, trying to kill each other, I I, I personally have to go with a Lithanar very heavily. Yeah. I mean, would there ever be a scenario where Lifanar would stop being such a sour person and actually engage in friendly competition? Uh, <laughs> only, uh, maybe to, like, <laughs> he's, like, if uh, the Empire would give him access to, like, secret knowledge on where a whole bunch of Dark Elves are or something, <laughs> try and, like, bribe him into it. Um, I, don't th I don't think he would do friendly competition, though. He'd probably be out to win and just, like, just not fun to deal with at all. <laughs> Which, I mean, I think Marcus Wolfhard is also kind of a sourpuss, but uh, just not, like, you know, Alithanar is, like, you know, he's the the, uh, the equivalent of, um, uh, like, the Punisher, almost, for yeah. Hiles, where he's just, like, he's just no fun anymore. And it's just, like, brutal to the point a lot of the Hiles were kind of like, is he a... Is he still a high elf, though? <laughs> God, it's kind of more like a dark elf that just happens to fight on our side. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird morally gray area, isn't it, though? <laughs> yeah, like, even Eltharian the Grim probably would be looking at uh, Olithanar kind of like, taking it, a little, taking it a little far there, dude. <laughs> like, you know, you're crucifying people on cliffs and stuff. Like, that's a little far. Take a break. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, thank y'all for uh, submitting that matchup. Like I said, uh, if you're interested in submitting more ideas, um, I will be trying to collect ideas on uh, Twitter or and my Discord, um, like maybe around Wednesdays um, to give us some time to kind of go through them and stuff. But um, uh, next thing we've got on the docket is oh yeah we're gonna talk about some aos stuff oh. um so uh we're gonna talk some aos tabletop which we've been kind of bouncing on uh throughout yeah. this podcast but uh there's actually a lot going on with aos right now um and the first thing uh we kind of want to discuss is uh well do you <laughs> do you want to start like discussing age of sigma kind of as a whole or do you want to talk about like the new releases <laughs> first <laughs> um, i'm good either way i'm good either way okay so i i guess i guess the best thing would be to kind of do an introductory thing of like for anyone uh who's kind of wandered in here or is in our communities but isn't like super aware of aos somehow uh because <laughs> uh, i think with the both of us discuss it a fair bit um uh aos is something that's important to both of us um in that it is it is a very fun like 
don't get me wrong it's not warhammer fantasy but it was also never trying to be warhammer fantasy and i think that's an unfair standard to hold it to um it is its own identity and it's an identity that i've come to very deeply love and uh, nathan's come to deeply appreciate as well and it's something that we definitely want to talk about on each of these episodes uh just because it's getting a lot of releases and there's a lot of cool stuff going on um but if you're not familiar with age of sigmar it is kind of hmm, how best to describe it uh it's like a post-apocalyptic warhammer fantasy game <laughs> but like instead of being like post-apocalyptic in a science sense so like everything's a wasteland and it sucks it's in a fantasy sense so like the universe kind of got reset um and a lot of the characters we used to know are now gods or at the very least have been empowered um so they're yeah. even more badass than they used to be um but it has like all these crazy new factions and it's 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 so fantasy it's so like fantastical that's a good way to put it it's so fantastical that it's mythological where you're dealing with like playable gods and you have factions that have so much fantasy to them that they're also sci-fi groups like the Karajan overlords who are literally just a steampunk faction um except for instead of using steam they use a magical substance called ether gold because Age of Sigmar is like, steam's not fantastical enough. We need we need magical steam for our steampunk. Um, which, uh, so like, it has just a lot of exciting things, but a lot of the themes that you may love in Warhammer Fantasy have just been taken to whole new levels. I mean, just as a good example, my personal favorite faction that I love in AOS is actually a faction called the Night Haunt, which Night Haunts are literally an entire fully-fledged race faction that were evolved from just the ghost units in Warhammer Fantasy. So, like, Games Workshop took, like, Karen Race and Banshees and was like, what if we made an... Or, and Spirit Hosts, and was like, what if we made an entire army out of these? And they did. <clears throat> and it's awesome. And they fit on sweats. <coughs> yes, they do. Um, uh, many, many of the units do. Um, and and it's, it's something that's super-duper awesome. But um, today... Uh, and we, we, I think both of our channels, we both discussed it a lot, and there are places where you can learn a lot more about it, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, uh, that today. But um, the biggest thing it has is that the universe has a moving narrative. Yeah. So it's constantly evolving. Um, they occasionally do retcon little small things, but they're pretty good about writing it well enough where they don't have to. And most of the lore has been actually very, very good. And one of the things they've done recently that we were both very excited about, want to talk about today in particular, and kind of hopefully where it will go, are dragons. Because we finally are getting dragons after five years or whatever it's been. And they look like actual <clears throat> dragons, because like the fantasy ones were danger noodles. Yeah, the fantasy ones were definitely the um, serpentine... Here, you know, here there be dragons that you would see on like the really old school maps and history and stuff. They weren't, they weren't thick European dragons. <laughs> yeah. So we're finally getting. I feel like, um, I feel like GW in terms for Age of Sigma, uh, which will hopefully go to obviously Old World, is that they are listening to the fan base because fans have been crying out for dragons for long, long time now. Yeah, especially as, like, Games Workshop squatted most of the dragon range um, from Old Fantasy, in that the only dragons you can still get are the black dragons? And I think that's it. Uh, 
black dragons, zombie dragons. Oh yeah, the zombie dragon. Um, yeah, the black dragon, and the zombie dragon. Which the zombie dragon is more of like a terror guys plus. Like it does yeah. look like a dragon, but you can definitely tell that it has to share a body with the terror guy, so its design is a little different. Um, but uh, for those people watching on uh, my channel, I'm pulling up some images of the new dragon riders. Um, and as you can see, these are much more like European drapes, um, as far as like body proportions go, uh, and that they've you know they've got four limbs and they're quadrupeds. Um, but they look absolutely fantastic. The I, only thing, uh, the I, only I, thing I don't I, like about them is they're writers. <laughs> literally what I was about to say, because, like, look, I, I get it. Stormcast are the big boys here and stuff like that. But holy crap, just put some elves on it. You know, they've been teasing Tyrion for a while. Give us real dragon riders and not freaking Stonecast. The new Stonecast models look really, really cool, don't get me wrong, but that's why they were riding on these Star Drakes and stuff. We don't need them on dragons, too. Yeah, no, I 100% I agree, and I'm just as butthurt as you are about it. I mean, for me in particular, I, um, I felt so betrayed because they teased it as a Lizardman thing. Like, the, when the dragons um, were first introduced in Age of Sigmar, the way they initially introduced them was they were like, hey, um, the Seraphon have found a whole bunch of dragon eggs and have been, like, fostering these baby dragons. And they introduced them in Mortal Realms Kragnos. And I was like, holy shit. And then they released a short story from the perspective of the Lizardmen or the Seraphon, as they're known now, which, once again, I was like, holy shit, are we getting a new type of Lizardmen? Are we getting dragon men? And I got so excited. And then in the short story, they reveal that the Lizardmen hatch all the dragons, and then the dragons fly off to Azir to become mounts for the Stormcast. And I was like, oh, bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. How can you do this to me? How can you do this to me, Gates Workshop? Renda, I would have thrown the book away. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, which on, on chat now, I'm putting up the actual dragons, like the, the two big dragons, which are the Sons of Dracothian, which are gorgeous minis. And thankfully, um, the mini I like the most, which is the Amber Dragon, um, does not have any Sigmarite uh, paraphernalia on him. He's just a big dragon. Um, so personally, I fully intend on uh, kitbashing him to make him something Lizardman themed. Um, hopefully, maybe I can run him as, like, a Dread Saurian or something. Uh, but, um, yeah, we, uh, I, I think both of us have felt immensely betrayed <laughs> when they revealed the truth behind the dragons. Because, like, listen, we, we, we understand. We get it. Like, Stormcast are the main characters. We get it. But, didn't have to do us dirty like this. Like, they could have at least made all of the dragons, like, or most of the dragons not writable and taken by all order factions. <laughs> but, like... The thing is, like, let's be very honest here, and I'm saying this out of a place of love, but also frustration to Games Workshop. When they do teasers, it makes no fucking sense, right? Like, they were hyping up the, the, the vampires, the Soul Blight, right? Or the new faction, all these new models and stuff like that. And then they were teasing... 
stuff that looked very aquatic. So as far as we were all concerned as a community, we were expecting Vampire Coast too, you know? Oh my god, yeah. And then freaking <laughs> It was a crab. Single fucking crab for the I did have teeth kick and a crab uh, like it was it was well and it was even worse than that because like originally they showed off the cursed city models at the same time and the cursed city had the giant zombie guy uh, zombie ogres that are nautical themed like they're pirate ogres that were turned into zombies so we saw those and we were like oh my god zombie pirates like everyone got so excited they were like oh yeah no that was for a box set that we totally are gonna keep supporting guys Totally! Like, we're not gonna release this and then immediately abandon it. Nah, we would never do that. What happened with that? Because I went to sleep one day, I woke up, and it's like, nah, it's gone. And it's like, what? <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, I wish I knew. Because, um, like, I own a Curse City set. Like, uh, for people yeah. watching on my stream, if you look where my thumb's pointing, you can literally see it on the shelf behind me. With all, and that's, like, all the minis beneath it, which are all painted and stuff. Super fun game! Um, I don't know what happened with it. Like they, they've at least released all the minis or, uh, yeah, they've released, uh, most, most of not all the minis now that you can buy separately, but, um, something happened with like the production. Hopefully they get it back up and running and re-release it because like, it was like one of the most hyped up releases. And the stupid thing is they've been covering it in like every white dwarf, like even this month's white dwarf, all these months later, still has an entire segment dedicated to Curse City. Even though Games Workshop, like, no longer supports the product. <laughs> what? I, 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 like, the, the only thing I've heard that I can find even remotely plausible is that the company that was printing all the board game elements, so, like, the actual tiles for the board game, and all, like, like, so not the minis, but everything else, like, right. that company was a Chinese uh, printer that, like, went under or something. Or, like, something happened where they couldn't produce it anymore. And so Games Workshop just panicked and was like, ah, we can't sell it anymore. Instead of, you know, just being like, hey, it's going to take us a while to find a new publisher. So just sit tight. Remember the good old days when everything used to be made in England? God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the good old days before everyone was like, it's cheaper to print in China. And now we're getting to the point. And then the pandemic happens and they're like, wait. No, all of our all of our supplies are in another country that can't ship here anymore. Oh, we're screwed. Jeez, uh, it's just it's 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 ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. I miss the old GW man because uh, it it just the minis were cheaper too, man. I mean, I mean, I'm looking at boxes. I'm like, wow, these are so cheap compared to that. It's not inflation. It's just because if it's cheaper to print in China, which it is, right? We know this like logistically and so on. Why the fuck are the prices getting up? I, we know how much it costs to print plastic. Well, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's kind of the big thing, right? Is that Games Workshop, um, and, and this is something we're talking about, is that, and this is one of the things that, um, like, I, I would love the community to get together on, is that Games Workshop is charging far too much money for their, uh, their products right now. Um, because one of the biggest things is that if you go back to the recession, um, back in like the early 2010s. Um, so we had that big recession, uh, or I think it was at the start or like right before 2010, but we had the big recession and during the recession, Games Workshop increased their prices, which got them a lot of flack from people, but they were like, Hey, um, like the recession is hurting us too. Like we're losing sales. 
So we're increasing the prices because we need this to survive. And everyone was like, all right, whatever. But then the recession ended. <laughs> or, well, I don't, I don't know. Uh, at the very least, Games Workshop started doing very, very well. And their prices never went down. Like, they never, like, revoked how they increased their prices because they were going under. And now they're one of the wealthiest companies in England, you know, or in the UK. Like, they're literally one of the wealthiest businesses in the entire country. And what did they do? Their prices went up again. <laughs> like, they're, 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 how, how do they say it in England? They're taking the piss. <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah. it's, it's complete bullshit. Um, it's utter and total bullshit. Um, they're, they are exploiting the community very heavily because they know people are really, really into it. Um, and they're being super greedy about their prices. And unfortunately, because it's always been kind of a hobby for the wealthy elite, not to say that like either of us are wealthy elite, but like we also don't have like the mega collections some people do. Like, you know, you see some people that, like, Nathan's room there, every single inch of that wall would be a display case completely full of painted minis that were someone else was paid to paint or something. And it's like, you know, those are the people that Games Workshop kind of caters to, and the rest of us are just kind of struggling to keep up. Um, And I don't know, man. Like, I feel like it's got to come to a head at some point, but I don't know what that point is. So... It's it's a weird thing. The prices need to be more accessible, especially like uh, look, Age of Sigmar, especially because uh, they're trying to push it more, aren't they? And the cost of entry might be too high to justify because it's mm. like, uh, I mean, what a box is like uh, a star collecting kit or whatever they call it now is probably around the same price as a new video game, isn't it? Um. I think so. Here, I can actually check. Because um, if anything, like, they used to be, the, the start collecting boxes used to be very, very reasonably priced. And, like, they're still good from, like, a sales perspective. Like, like yeah. as far as, like, oh, if I were to buy this stuff anyway, I might as well buy a start collecting box because it's a lot cheaper. Yeah. Um, but, like, I think most of them are more in the ballpark of, like, 100 bucks now. Bucks, like if I look at like yeah like start collecting Seraphon uh, is a hundred dollars a uh, hundred US dollars uh, if I look at like um, let's see like he Knights of Slanesh I don't even think they have one right now no they don't um, uh, let's see what's a chaos faction that definitely has one Beast of Chaos Beast of Chaos ninety five dollars um, and the thing is, like, that doesn't even get you a full army. It's just, like, you know, kind of a handful. Flesh Eater Courts, um, $90. Yeah, they're all, like, 90 minimum. It's, it's a shame, because we, we need more, uh, we need more youngins to get into the hobby, because, that, let's be honest, we're getting old. We're getting, we're getting on with age, right? Eventually, uh, <laughs> you're not wrong. But... Yeah, but you know, a fresh face does the hobby good. We need to see more youngins into it. We need to see more of them playing and so on. And then, like you said, a hundred around a hundred dollars. It doesn't. It's not an army. It's it's what like five hundred points, maybe a bit more sometimes, depending on the box. And it's like, 
Oh yeah, no, uh, like I would I would say price of entry to AOS, like assuming you know exactly what you want and you also get it as cheaply as possible directly from GW, which granted we should say you should never buy directly from GW <laughs> because it's just way too expensive. Yeah. I um but I, I think like minimum price of entry now is like four hundred dollars or five hundred dollars US, which is I mean that's a lot of money. And that's that's if you're lucky, like you're buying in the US. You know, um, the only place that's cheaper, I think, is like England itself, uh, the UK, where you know, like they the it, the prices are much more reasonable, and actually the British pound carries a lot further. But like, if you live in Australia, like prepare to just get bent over and fucked <laughs> by those prices. I mean, I'll, I'll go on a I'll go on the UK site and. Sixty pounds to fifty-five pounds, depending on the box. Not great. It is honestly not too good. But it's like you're right, though. Like, like the game should be catering to try and get like teenagers and young adults into the game. But who, especially in today's day and age, who the hell? What teenagers running around with like a bonus hundred dollars <laughs> to pick up some minis? And, like, God help you if you're wanting to pick up, like, a big centerpiece. Like, oh, I want a greater demon. Well, that's going to be, like, 150 bucks. It's it's a little brutal. And then, uh, like, because you need some... Sometimes you need these big ones. Like, I, I look at these boxes, and I don't really necessarily point them on how they would be for Age of Sigma. Uh, I've got that thing where I just look like, oh, for me for fantasy. And I look at, like, for example, the Skaven... Pestilence Star Collecting Kit is amazing, right? It is just, it is so damn good. It's one of the best value for money kits there. But then if you're looking for, uh, I don't know, you look at the, let's um, go down here, the Beast of Chaos one kind of sucks. Uh, the Anvil Guard one sucks completely. And it's like, and they, they might be, they are quite good for Age of Sigma, but it's like, well, it's well not... sometimes. <laughs> sometimes they're good yeah. for Age of Sigma. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's the money. It scares me, man. Like, um, a star collecting kit should be just that, a star collecting kit. By all means, put some shit models in it, but make it the starter kit. Um, what I did really, really like that they were doing with this is, because I found these to be better way to entry level, was the uh, Underworlds Warbands, because that's actually a good entry level for miniatures, uh, miniatures for people and stuff like that. Oh yeah, the, the Underworlds Warbands are fantastic. Like, I think Underworlds is one of the best... I mean, A, it's a very fun game in and of itself. Um, yeah. Which, if anyone hasn't, I would highly recommend checking out the video game at the very least. Um, but, uh, as far as, um, like, minis go, like, the, the thing that's so fun about Underworlds is basically every single mini is a special character. As far as, like, they have a unique pose, um, they have, like, unique assets, and they're beautifully sculpted minis. I've got the, uh, I've got a lot of them. I, I buy them, and I put them on squares. Oh, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like, they're great for that. Like, I know a lot of people that pick them up and, like, you, like, kind of separate them out to be, like, regular guys. Like, I know people that have bought the, uh, Seraphon one. To use like the chameleon skinks or like the regular skinks, just because they look so much better. Yeah. Um, instead of running them as like their actual squad. But so, um, 
you know the uh, Wormspat one. So you remember a few days ago I was tweeting about the fact that Nurgle needs Nurgle proper Chaos Warriors and stuff like that, right? Right. Uh, so I got the Wormspat one a few months ago, and I've got the um, the one with the spear as it might be a spear. I converted his arm to be a flag carrier. The sorceress is still a sorceress, but I've got them in squares to use for one fantasy. And they're just so beautiful. The, 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 the cast is so, so good, you know? Yeah, they're... Well, like... It, and the nice thing is, is that they've done a great job of covering almost every race. And, like, they're just continuing to expand it. We're like, oh, hey, you like, like, classic goblins? You can pick up Ripper Snarl Fangs, which are the Wolf Riders. And they look amazing! <laughs> like, they're super high-quality Wolf Rider sculpts. They are, they are. They got rid of a few old ones, though. Like, for example, the Skavenagon. Uh, it's, a bit sh- it's a bit of a shame, because that's a great kit. Uh, uh, I think you could still you could still pick them up. You just can't pick them up on the Games Workshop main website. I think you could still purchase them on the Underworlds website. It's okay, okay. I didn't know that. that that's actually good to know, because uh, it's a great kit. I actually use them for characters. Uh, the one I'm actually... I've ordered it recently is the, uh, the Mad Mob, because... Savage old characters, man. <laughs> yeah, well, especially like that's the first uh, that's the first new Savage Rock Shaman character they've uh, released since Fantasy. <laughs> like, it looks cool, doesn't it? Especially that uh, the one that's dual wielding like Wolverine. I love it. It's just it's so cool. Yeah, like, and that's <clears throat> that's the thing is like they just look absolutely fantastic, and you get to see like some really cool um designs. I mean, when they released the Lizardman one, the new Chameleon skin is. so so good looking. Um, the only like the only thing I hate about the set, well, a I wanted a Crocscore, not a Saurus, but because uh, it's like ah, we've already got so many Saurus old bloods, but <laughs> but uh, like is that it only comes with a single Chameleon skin, so like to make a unit out of it, you'd have to buy like five sets of Diarchasm, <laughs> which is just like that's, that's too much. But um, individual uh, sales. Yeah, but uh, the nice thing is that when the models have been out long enough, um, they also kind of do a thing where they'll usually allow you to buy just the minis um, if you know where to look, which can actually be like a really good way to save some money um, because like you're like, okay, well, I'm only getting the minis, so you're not paying for like the cards or anything else. Um, so you can actually... So like uh, a good example is like... Um, well, let me see if they did this for the Skaven as well. But, like, the Thorns of the Briar Queen, um, which is the Nighthaunt one, instead of picking her up through the regular website, in which case she would have cost $40, if you go to the Nighthaunt section, you can pick up just the um, Shadespire Warband uh, without the cards for only $25, which is really pretty solid pricing. Uh, yeah, uh, same, same thing for Skaven. So the verminous spike claw swarm you can pick up under Skaven on GW's website for twenty five bucks. Fifteen pounds, not bad, not bad. Yeah, like that for that's pretty reasonable actually for how, how like high quality the the sculpts are. Yeah. Um, um, like you're you're paying like like uh for a spike claw swarm that's like five dollars a mini. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. Yeah. Um, I mean, most reason you'd want to pick it up is for the uh, the dude lobbing himself over the. Uh, uh, the Archway, because, like, he's a great character, fits on a 20 mil base, no problem, you can rank them up. Um, as you know, like, I, I, I've actually got that as my, uh, Clan Moors leader. Um, okay, so well, yeah, he's perfect for that. Like, he literally just looks like a Clan Moors, uh, warlord, <laughs> or chieftain. 
exactly. I mean, it's just a, such a great cast. But uh, yeah, it's not bad at all, honestly. I didn't know that you could pick it up from there. Normally, I've just been... Sometimes I just go insane and I just go... Um, I buy two or three boxes as soon as they launch. Uh, I've got that impulse. I, I've got no impulse control. <laughs> I, I think anybody that collects Warhammer does, has impulse problems. <laughs> Because any reasonable person would look at that and go, I'm not paying that much for plastic toys, are you kidding? And the rest yeah. of us are like, I <laughs> I have no self-control, so watch me. It's, uh, I think the last time I went on holiday, uh, I was in, um, I was in, uh, I went to Amsterdam for Buddy's uh, bachelor party, and we were staying at a place where it had two GWs from walking distance and another two hobby stores it was like surrounded what the by hell? Yeah, it was, like, it was like I was right in the pinnacle. It was great. <laughs> I was going around for all the all the different stores. I actually came back with uh, an extra suitcase. <laughs> it was Very like, nice. eh, well, whilst I'm here. Yeah, uh, I I think uh, if if this pandemic ever ends and I get to go back to uh, England sometime, like I just I just want to go to Warhammer World and just be like, I'm gonna fill this thing up with random crap and then come home. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I think we're uh, pretty much at that time. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, if we want to get out here on a reasonable time scale. So uh, thanks to everyone so much for joining us. Uh, I hope you all had a, uh, a great time. Um, if this is something you really enjoyed, then please let us know about it. Um, mm -hmm. Like leaving comments on the videos and hitting like buttons and letting us know on like Twitter and stuff. Because this is kind of one of those things that like we'd like to do it and it's fun for us yeah. um but you know it kind of comes down to how much people enjoy watching it where you know if we know there's going to be like a big audience for it then we're happy to do it on a regular basis um as often as we can um but uh, for those of you watching uh, uh me on twitch i will be uploading this to my youtube channel uh very quickly afterwards um nathan got any closing thoughts or anything for us uh, no, just uh, like I like uh, like so. Tech said, if you guys like this, let us know. Let us know what you think you guys want more of, and so on. Because obviously, uh, this is a very new thing for us. Like I've never really done a podcast thing, barring just being a guest with the elect accounts. Um, so it, it's new territory for me. But being able to talk Warhammer is always really fun. So I, I, I'm always keen. Uh, plus, I, I think like. Uh, the fact that you and I have been in the hobby for so long, it makes it easy for us to bounce back and forth. Yeah, I, I agree. And plus, like, we both have access to some interesting folks. <laughs> so, like, we can actually have some really fun rumor mill discussions. Exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, and, and like I said, like, how often we're going to do this and stuff is going to pretty much be entirely down to how y'all respond to it. So if y'all want to see more episodes, then make sure to give us um, lots of feedback. And, uh, and like literal feedback, you know, we'd love to like hear suggestions on things to talk about, um, whether that's like a particular subject or a particular debate. Uh, we need like who would win recommendations. We need uh, conversation recommendations. If you're like, man, I'd really love for them to talk about this random thing. Uh, as long as it's Warhammer related, we're happy to talk about it. And like we may even... Uh, pop in and discuss 40k a little bit from time to time. I know Nathan actually does like 40k stuff, and I vaguely keep up with it enough to be able to talk about it. <laughs> so, um, but like I've already got a couple of topics written down for next time. Uh, but we'd love to hear from y'all. 
So uh, unless he's got anything else, I think we're pretty much set. Yeah, um, I'm going to try look for someone to throw a, a host to on YouTube. Uh, so, like, uh, guys, if you're watching on my stream and you want to uh, carry on watching something Warhammer-related... Oh, Mercy's on. Yeah, let's let's throw it to Mercy. Mercy's awesome. You know Mercy the Med? I do. Uh, uh, I will be doing a raid here on uh, Twitch, but anyone in uh, the YouTube community, be sure to head over to where... Nathan directs you guys and wish him the best for us. But I'm going to go ahead and hop out of the call. Uh, Nathan, it was a pleasure talking with you. And uh, we'll we'll talk more later on uh, our thoughts and all that stuff. And uh, I'll see you later, my dude. Definitely. Right. Well, see you, dude.